Hello, this is Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit, and welcome to the current episode of Grow or Die with me and Lawrence Henderson, taking on business, personal development, professional development, and career and leadership topics that come up and trying to see if we can have a great conversation. Each episode is released on a weekly basis, and we welcome you to join us in real time. Find the information on our site. Welcome to the conversation. Wow. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I'm Alora Chestikoff. Here's my partner, Lawrence Henderson. Hey, Lawrence. Hey, 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 hey. It's a wonderful day in the boss neighborhood. It is awesome to hear that, as always, but I don't honestly usually expect to hear anything else, so I would be surprised to hear otherwise. Fantastic. So, it is your turn this week to yes, give me a topic. So, the topic I thought was picked until I went to another coaching uh cohort this past weekend where I'm going to be facilitating um, some of the content and this huge thing came up for the participants around self-awareness. Yep. And you know the look on my face is because I'm in the middle of a book and I had actually set aside that topic for you for next week. (laughs) No! (laughs) Oh my god that's so... Okay, no, this is awesome. I'm like, I'm up to my ears in this topic right now, and I'm so, it's so meaty, and there's so much there. All right. I'm telling you. So there's a lot of dimensions to this. Was there a specific kind of Mm -hmm. slice that you had in mind? Yeah, the the lack thereof (laughs) self-awareness. So um, particularly around the uh, imposter syndrome part of awareness, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the story behind it is um, there was a participant who wanted to uh, confront me um, because she thought I had her under a microscope the whole weekend. And I wanted to say in a very hurtful way upon her telling me that, ain't nobody worried about you. Um, but I, I tactfully pulled it back and said, what made you feel that way? Right? And, and, nice but it recovery, was, coach. Yeah, 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 right? The coach in me was, what made you feel that way? What did I do that caused you to be that self, like, what I want, that self-absorbed that you thought that I would take out my precious brain space to think about you all weekend? Like, that, that's what I wanted to say. But, but I, you didn't. I stayed present. I didn't. I stayed present for her. Um, Because it seems like something that was really heavy on her. But then I got to thinking, like, how many people are walking around with this perpetual awareness chip on their shoulder? And I love the classic, oh, I'm super self-aware. That's that's why I noticed. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's so awesome. Okay, so, so... To that, to that point, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of a book called Executive Presence by Harrison Monarth. It's a fantastic book. And in it, he breaks down a lot of research and a lot of different components of self-awareness, including that there are kind of two, two main um, 
aspects of it, right? There's what we actually see of ourselves and how we understand other people to perceive us. So there's the internal and then there's the external. So yeah. it sounds like she was particularly dealing with a, a miscalibration of the external. Mm -hmm. She was very um, inaccurate in how she was assuming you were being aware of her yeah. and that, and that caused her to have it and it triggered her clearly. Um, clearly. I, good, good that you didn't let her triggering trigger you, which is mm. nice. Yeah. Um, but what I love about, what I love about the way like they break breaking down self-awareness into those two pieces is because, you know, that, that is such a huge, um, there's a huge Delta, right. Between what we are aware of ourselves and the amount of work we can do around that. But that's not the full extent of it, right? We also have to be aware of how, how other people are perceiving us and the bigger right. gap that we have between what we think we're projecting and what other people are actually perceiving exactly. is, can be huge and it can be really dangerous. And it's really hard for your career. Um, yeah. And, you know, in, in the book, Executive Presence, he's specifically talking about how do you, you know, how do you make sure and, and build your executive presence so that as you move through your career that you're managing how you're being perceived. And, you mm -hmm. know, there, he has a lot of really great examples of That's people good. Uh, yeah. And, and, and some of them are really great because it's people who think they're, you know, trying to be polite and they're, so they're quiet in meetings and yet their bosses perceive them as being wishy-washy or exactly. And so the Delta there is, is, is really, I think an important place to under start understanding mm -hmm. and to start collecting feedback. So, yeah, man, you're, you're hitting all my buttons. Yeah. Well, well, and so, you know, and, and I know that, you know, from, from your corporate world, you know, 360s, yeah. 360s are, are a big part of how organizations try to solve that. I was reading some really interesting research about how one of the most valuable uses of a 360 isn't as much, isn't always as much, because sometimes they're, they're not helpful in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the most valuable applications is to give someone the opportunity to gauge their own perception of how they are being recognized with the gap that other people see. And it's not yeah. always as important to get the details of, of other people. It's really more important for them to understand that, hey, I think I'm doing a great job in this, in this you know, setting or that I'm running great meetings. And it turns out that my staff actually thinks I'm a bully who you know, knocks the crap out of them every time they open their mouth. Yeah. And it's a, like the Delta there can be, can be super detrimental to your career, but yeah. it's one of those things that people don't, you know, they'll say stuff like I'm, you know, really self-aware. Yeah. So, so it's funny you brought that up because I love to start off 360s with the sponsor, helping them understand that that's the road that we're going to go down. We got to find the Delta. We got to find the gap between where that person believes they are and then where everybody else who is encountering them, where the friction is actually happening. And more times than not, like, like you said, it's in the understanding of how are people receiving me? How are people viewing me? But that feedback word has been given such a negative dumping condensation um, that it just, it makes people freak out it, um for lack of a better term and they just cringe and it's almost like 
it's like that kid that did something bad and they know they're about to get a whooping for it and they're like bracing <laughs> and 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 what happens in the brace you close your ears well, and, and, and you just wait for people's lips to stop moving well and i think the other the flip side of that is i think there's also a lot of like legitimate abuse of the 360 model right i mean i've seen people give 360s and knowing that it's you know i mean you can hell look at look at glass door reviews right i mean you can you can look at 360 responses sometimes and realize that someone's taking advantage of anonymity to just be vitriolic and you know and so it makes it makes it hard and i think that the intent of 360s can be useful and very very helpful for that self-awareness yeah but it's not always executed well, and it's definitely not always um, uh, implemented in line with the intent that it was originally, you know, the cause of putting it into place. But I think when it is, it can be really helpful, which is why I think it's probably a more useful model if you use it with a coach or as part of a coaching program, um, because then you can, then I think it's a little bit easier to keep the intent a little bit clearer and a little bit less of screw you jackass. I'm going to get even with you for everything you've ever done. That's pissed me off. Yeah. 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 You know, plus I think the other thing is too, is that, um, that self-awareness is so hard to, um, to get through your own, layer first. I think just, I think it's, I think it's really easy to get defensive to your point of that cringe and not actually take the feedback seriously. And so I think having somebody who's going to work, work through it with you and who who can go back and do follow-up questions too. I think that's another great thing about doing a 360 with a coach is the interviewing aspect of it, right? It's not just a form that's one and done. Most coaches will go and they will talk to the sponsor and they will talk to other key stakeholders and really get a firsthand account and can get get to the more personal pieces, which I think help keep it from being just a weapon of choice. Exactly, yeah, and I think um, layered feedback, like you said, and and kind of put things in perspective and in buckets. Um, And I'm thinking about one uh, individual I did a 360 on um, it was really, they thought that by being the life of the party um, was a good thing for them. And, you know, because they were on a very serious team and um, had very uh, serious direct reports, but to others receiving them, they were annoying. And, and not only were they annoying, they had gotten that direct feedback before and did nothing with it. They just, because it was, they put it in a box of a one-off and they were like, oh, that's, that individual doesn't like my style. And so I'm not going to base, you know, framework and development off of that one outlier. Um, But crazy enough, in reaction to that direct feedback, it actually got worse. And, And so it began to not just annoying, but some people use words in regards to obnoxious and just like it. And, and it was like, and it was, it wasn't lack of feedback. It was just how they received it, how they processed it, filtered it. And was like, you know what? I think that's a strength of mine. And so it goes to your part of awareness of understanding, is that really what it is? Right. Or is there something deeper there that you need to work on? And luckily enough, this, this uh, person, this leader actually was in a coaching program 
mm -hmm. uh, during the same time. And so what I gave them the ability to do is like, hey, here's the feedback. Take this to your coaching sessions. Take, ask your coach, deal with some of this stuff because it began to come to a point where they were like, I feel like I have a glass ceiling. Oh yeah. And, and if I don't do something like, and they were again, aware enough to feel it coming, but couldn't really, and didn't really want to deal with what was actually keeping the ceiling in place. Um, and once they put the work in, um, I spoke to, to the sponsor and just a 360 like incremental change of the conversation of the coaching sessions like all of it in concert uh this created this beautiful harmony um for this leader that now they're talking about promotions they're talking about raises they're talking about diversifying their career path and other things which wasn't even on the table before well, and I think that's right there. I think you just hit the nail on the head, right? That's, that's actually yeah. where, it, where it hurts you. And to be sure, it can absolutely be devastating in personal relationships, but that's sure. a whole other can of worms. But when we're talking yeah. about work, when you are inadvertently alienating your colleagues, your bosses, worse yet, your boss's boss, I mean, how many people have, have found that they might get along great with their boss, but their boss's boss thinks they are a bad influence or bad on the team or, or any yeah. number of things. Your boss is only going to have so much leeway to promote you if his boss doesn't think highly of you or if you exactly. haven't made a good impression. And exactly. so for me, and, and for me, that's, that's the thing. And that's one of the things I really love about, about this book is that he's really talking mm -hmm. about the things that you need to develop self-awareness around and then yeah. work on and, and that it's not, you know what, it's not a you're born with it or you're not kind of thing. It's a set of skills mm -hmm. that you can actually learn, exactly. but you can't learn any of them if you don't start by developing self-awareness, which is Man. huge and so tough, especially, <laughs> especially. So one of my favorite, favorite books is, is Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And for me, that one is where I really see this happen, right? When you move, take somebody from an individual contributor role to a manager mm -hmm. role or from a manager to a manager of managers, whether it's a director or whatever that is, yeah. and then up to a VP kind of level role. As they move through those, through those stages in their career, a lot of times they, they get, as Marshall calls it, superstitious about what it yeah. was that, that made them good enough to get there. And yeah. their, thought, their thought process is, well, I've, I've, I, I, you know, I've behaved this way and it made me successful. So therefore mm -hmm. I should continue to behave this way. His point is a lot of times it's really, I was successful in spite of how I was behaving. Boom. And, <laughs> and so now that I want to go to the next level, I got to go back and check that behavior because that behavior was not necessarily wow. cause and effect. It could be completely, completely outside of that. And yeah. so for me, that self-awareness thing becomes huge when you're looking at Okay, what do I want my career to be? Because that, that ability to influence people is huge. You need to be able to be persuasive about your own skills and your own value and your own credibility and integrity and all of those things. And if, you know, in your example, right, if I'm, you know, always trying to be the life of the party in a group of, you know, hardcore, serious people, yeah, I might think I'm trying to bring some levity and some fun to the environment, but if I'm surrounded by people with no sense of humor, then I'm probably just annoying the crap out of them. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I love, I love what you, you just said about 
um, understanding that with promotion, I, I always say it is, it's, uh, it's your next level of incompetence, uh, getting those promotions. And what happens is, again, you try to bring that old way of doing things. And if you don't understand the, the leveling necessary to be successful at this next level or find the mentor, find the previous person in the role, like gather data to the people who are on the team. And again, taking everything with a grain of salt, but at least preparing yourself for a new fight. Um, and I always liken it, you know, being in the military, it's like, okay, if I got to knock down this building, I'm not going to break out the hammer and start trying to whack away at this building. No, I'm gonna go grab the tank. I'm gonna tell them load a heat round. I'm tell them not level the thing, right? But it's, it's understanding and using the right tools when you're at the different levels. Um, and to me, I think this is where having really good peers mm -hmm. and really good mentors really comes into play. Um, because this, this lone wolf thing um, is, is really, really uh, beginning to irk me to no end. <laughs> and all I have to do is hustle and some and miraculous no. thing will happen for me. No. And, and that way I can have pull myself by my own bootstrap story. Um, it's not sexy. It's not sexy, folks. It's yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't actually work. I mean, again, I mean, I was, I was almost thinking we were gonna get through a whole, a whole episode without a Brene Brown reference. But her whole, <laughs> like, her whole, like, point about like she's had to give up that whole, like, you know, I, I made it, I made it alone, kind of like, and I get it. There's, it's a very like American, deeply rooted, mm. cultural, iconic concept, yeah. and a lot of us really, you know love love the romantic you know walt whitman out in the forest by yourself kind of mm. metaphor and you know it sounds all sexy and stuff but in reality it doesn't work that way we don't we live in way too interconnected of a world and really unless you are going to frankly go off and be the unabomber like that's you're it you 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 cannot isolate yourself we don't live in that kind of world anymore at all, at all. so so to your point you know, interestingly, part of, part of, part of what we're talking about is also situational awareness, right? For sure. For sure. So one of the, th one, again, a great metaphor out of, out of the book was he said, you know, think of it like, think of it like somebody who uh, is a soccer player and in high school, they're the best in their, they're the absolute best on their team and they're treated like the rock star. They get to college, the competitive pool has changed and yep. They're, they're no longer, they're no longer the best. Now they got to work much harder. They're one of many. That same skill set, when it's time to like go to try out for the pros, they don't even get a tryout spot. And I think the challenge that we see with so many people trying to navigate their career is they might've been amazing at that high school stage or that, mm -hmm. that individual contributor kind of function or that early stage, <laughs> but they don't always remember that, you know what, as you move up the food chain, there are reasons other people are at that level with you. And you know exactly. what? You can, there, sometimes it's, you know, good old boys club network crap and other things. But no matter what, the competition gets fiercer the higher you go. And if you don't have the situational awareness to understand how you are being perceived, what behaviors you're demonstrating that are undermining you, they're destroying exactly. your credibility. They are completely calling into question your integrity or your ability to manage complexity or how you handle pressure. Those kind of things become infinitely more important the higher up you go because you're surrounded by people who are getting good and good and better and better yeah. at those things. And the bar gets, and they, you know, it raises the bar on you automatically. 
yeah and there's there's and i'm i'm thinking about me right i'm thinking about captain henderson where i i relied heavily on my ability to be tactically and technically proficient mm -hmm. and i knew then at 27 years old i was better than average like i'm top five i would say in any organization in the army i would say i'm top five at that level but what started to begin to happen is i stopped developing and when i got into rooms with people like you said who were at that other level with me it began to tell on me and i began to reach and i began to be just this really man how to say it? i just turned into a turd <laughs> um and got really annoying really fast because i was trying to hide and mask where i wasn't developing and so i went into deep go mode of i gotta get my weight up i gotta get my weight up and and it wasn't about okay who else can i fake out it was no really i need to humble myself i need to make sure that i begin to get feedback it was when that was when I really started getting 360s in the army just so happened. I don't know if somebody had an epiphany or they ran into me. Um, the army started doing 360s where we used to have to request feedback before our reviews could go up. And I'll never forget my first batch of feedback was almost mirroring what I was feeling. Um, and I, I tried to cop out. I still tried to skirt it a little bit. I asked my best soldiers thought they were going to give me raving reviews because I gave them raving reviews and they butchered me. I mean, just peeled my skin back and I had two options. Take it, go to them and ask for more. Give me details of where you saw this come up, how it made you feel, or just meh. Those are outliers. Right. And, but I did, I did the first one. I took that feedback. Mm -hmm. I peeled, I opened wounds and all. And I was like, Hey, pour salt in them. I said, let's go. I said, I need it. And, and it sent me down this road to, so I think really believe who I am today is asking for that feedback, wincing a little bit at the beginning, but once, once it starts, it's like, all right, yep. I needed that. I can see, I can see that too. I can see that too. Right. Um, yeah, well, you're I, some real I, big things. I, I think part of what you said is really important here too, right? Is that yeah. you felt all that. You were trying yeah. to hide it. And I think that's one of those things that people often overestimate is how yeah. good an actor they really are. Like how Ooh. I you know, I think my mask is hiding all this like really terrifying shit that I'm keeping contained. Very rarely are we as good of an actor as we think we are. And oh, and I God. think we so and especially I mean it's one thing to, you know, put up a facade when you're, you know, have, when you have limited contact with somebody. But especially yeah. in your example, right? You're living, working, you know, in dangerous situations, high pressure context with these people yeah. all the time. They see you in this like very good, bad, ugly kind of state of existence. Yeah. They see authentically who you are. You can't hide that. Like there's, there, there's, you don't have enough energy 
or hours of your day to try to keep up a mask for people who have that much visibility into your daily actions and how you respond in the moment and how do you handle pressure and how do you handle things that go wrong and you know mm. how do you handle somebody mouthing off to you in the moment instead of just you know wanting to punch them in the mouth and you know like there's so many things that they see that we don't think other people see and it's like well great glad you think you're a great actor no academy award for you though dude you're you're not at all. everybody else sees through you you are yeah. not hiding anything yeah so so i'm curious as you write this book and as you really get deep what's been kind of a couple of takeaways as you began doing this work um, so for me, reading the book, not, I'm, I'm reading it, not writing it. I would love, to, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll get to writing one someday, but okay. this, this one is the one I'm reading. So, um, so this one, so it makes me actually really grateful for, um, a couple of very specific things, but one in particular. So when I was, um, when I was actually at, at, at JetBlue, um, I took a class and I think it was a teamwork or managing meetings or something. It, was, it was some, it was some, it was some class in, in the program and it was, um, an all day class. And in it, they had several different breakouts. And in these breakouts, you had, uh, teams, you know, in rooms where you would go and do an exercise and, uh, and you would do it together and they, they would videotape it from the other side of a one way, a one way mirror. And then afterwards, You'd watch the video and break it down. Wow. And I have to say there were more epiphanies for me in my behavior watching that than I ever imagined possible. Like, like comes up a lot in the book about, and to your point, I think I'm really self-aware. Oh, I so thought I was until I watched that video. And I was horrified. I was horrified at everything from how much I would like fidget and play with my hair and like mm -hmm. tug on my earrings, like dumb, like dumb physical, you know, yeah. restraint in that regard. But I was also interrupting people. I was talking over people. I, like there were so many things about how I was showing up in that room that I was absolutely unaware of yeah. that watching that video just, I was like sick to my stomach. And when we did several of those over the course of the day, and I just, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to vomit. Oh, holy crap. But I was, I think about 32 at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a manager and it was, it was a fantastic lesson. It was so useful and so valuable to me about understanding, um, again, that difference between what I thought I was projecting and really looked and a video camera is so objective, right? I mean, yeah, there's, there, there's nothing. So it's to your point about, you know, people can dismiss what they get from someone if they feel like that person might, you know, I'm just not their cup of tea or whatever. Ain't no hiding from video at, at all. all. And at so all. when you go back and watch it, it's like, and so, you know, and I actually use that tool a lot now with clients. So like I have, I have, you know, clients who are getting ready, going through interview process, big career yeah. changes and stuff like that. And so we'll do, I do a lot of work with asking them behavioral interview questions so that they yeah. can start practicing. And I always video that so that they can go back and watch it later. They can see their physical, you know, reaction. They can watch how they're, how they are, um, 
sort of holding themselves during that conversation exactly. to hear how they're stringing words together. That's another thing, right? Most of us think mm -hmm. that we sound super articulate. And then you actually watch a recording and you're like, oh my God, I sound like a bumbling jackass. What the hell is that? Yeah, that and is, so um, it's ahead. a very useful tool. Like it's so, it's so helpful for things like that. And, um, mm -hmm. and I find that clients who actually go back and watch the videos are like, wow, I thought that was, I thought, like when I was answering you, I thought that was a really great answer. But then when I went back and listened to it, I don't even know what the hell I was saying. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it brings up for me, uh, going through the, uh, TEDx, uh, mm. you know, saga, um, in preparation for the, the TEDx and our, our coach would say, um, record yourself, but then, um, watch it in three modes. First, watch it in silence, no audio, just watch you. Uh, number two, listen to it, don't watch. And then the third, put it all together. And just that exercise, and to your point, I think I'm saying something awesome, but then a tick that I had going through Toastmasters, this lady told me, she said, you sounded awesome. Like, you sounded amazing. I have no clue what you said, because all I could focus on was your double dutch arms. And I was like, double dutch arms? She was like, your arms just kept moving in circles. And I was just like, I was like, are you kidding me? She, I was like, the entire time, she was like, it seemed like the entire, she was like, it was the longest seven minutes that I've ever listened to anybody. She was like, I was like, please, God, put his hands in his pockets. Like, at least, do, like, like holster those bad boys. Like, <laughs> and, that's awesome. And it was, and it was that feedback going through that process of video, people have no clue what their body's doing. Um, even the mode of where do you go, whether it's right brain, left brain, where do you go to look for information? And to your point, interviews, people don't know how their body reacts to questions and they don't understand like that's telling. Like if I ask you something about previous experience, and a bead of sweat starts running down the middle of your forehead. I'm one, gonna check and make sure we didn't make it too hot in this room. Two, I'm like, why did that make me sweat? Yeah. Like, there's something about that, right? Um, but you, this topic of awareness, like you said, you said it, 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 we can go a number of different routes, a number of different ways. Um, but that this past weekend, that really got me. That got me was like, are we really aware? And, and what type of work are we doing, particularly as coaches? Um, what type of consistent work are we doing? And um, I know I have a coach. I know you have a coach. Um, and I would say for anybody out there who is a leader of people, um, coaching period, I question you if you don't have a coach. Well, I'm running a business, right? I mean, yeah. one of the hardest things I think, and, and it's kind of comes back to your, the original imposter syndrome idea, right? So yeah. when I started my career, you know, I was a project manager in consulting environments. And then as I moved, you know, up the food chain, one of the things that happened was I was expected to sell. Now they don't train project managers to sell anything, you know, and I had friends who, you know, we were, we were all project managers together in our mid twenties. And, and over time, a lot of them stayed on that track and they're still individual contributors. They're still project managers and they've continued to build a good career out of that. Well, I went kind of in a different direction. And I remember one, one of them in particular asking a mutual friend of ours, 
I like, I don't get it. I feel like Laura's getting promoted and getting all these, you know, other opportunities. And, and why don't I get any of those choices? Why don't I get any of those chances? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when, when that conversation came up, I was like, well, it's because actually I don't, I don't manage projects anymore. I'm selling, I'm getting yelled at by angry clients. <laughs> I'm recruiting, I'm doing other things because yeah. that's how I had to evolve. But I also had to start learning that, you know, the sales, sales is a scary ass thing to do if you're coming at it cold and coming from, you know, being a subject matter expert into a sales kind of, you know, or sales at first supporting sales and then really driving sales. One of the things I had to learn was I cannot allow someone else's impression of my team, my boss, the product we're working with or anything like that rattle me in the moment. My self-awareness about, you know, how I'm holding the room. And again, that executive presence piece, right? If I'm standing Mm -hmm. in front of a room, you know, in almost all cases, at least 80% male, usually a lot back then, especially a lot older than me. Now we're kind of the same age, which makes me sad. But, you know, (laughs) back then I was a lot younger than all of them, you know, but being, being aware of that was super important to your point, right? About, about making jokes and being funny. My default is to make people laugh, but when you're the youngest in the room, you're the only woman, you have the least experience. Sometimes making people, trying to make people laugh just makes you look like you're terrified or make you look like you don't belong in the room. And you have to start actually reading what you're getting from people. And you can't, you can't force, you cannot force the DNA of a room to be something that it's not. And if you have that situational awareness, you're going to be a salmon swimming upstream. Wow. You can't force the DNA of a room. No. You just landed that. And you just thought you were just going to run right by that. (laughs) It's a culture. It's a culture question. There it is. Culture is always that that meshing of people and how things work. It creates DNA for any context. It does. And we talk about it at an organizational level or a team level. Yeah. A room has its own, its own, its own culture. Wow. You, you just dropped a whole bomb in so, one session. Okay. So, so now you have to tell me what it was that now where your brain is on that. Because for me, it's, it's again, from a self-awareness standpoint, but the DNA of a room is how someone can steer and win or lose because they just violated some social norms that they had no clue about. And if they're not careful, they just literally messed up the DNA of that room and they no longer are in flow. And I think that in and of itself is a whole nother level of awareness that people need to show up with is how am I showing up and how is the way I'm showing up serving where I'm at? And you have to be into me, what you just, that statement in of itself lends to how present are you actually? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and this is, to be fair, this is actually why I, so, you know, the book to sell is human by Daniel Pink is an amazing, amazing book. And it's one that I have for years now given my project managers, my my managers, my developers, people who do not think of themselves as sales people because we don't ever go to sales training. Sales training is one of the most useful things you can ever have Mm -hmm. in terms of 
being open, looking for a win-win, asking open-ended questions, trying to understand the problems, like the real problem someone is trying mm-hmm. to solve, and listening. Now, we all have like the cliches of like the total douchebag sales guys, like, you know, yep. wearing gold chains on the side of the Jersey Turnpike. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's, you know, the iconic image. But the truth is, an, a truly good salesperson is genius at understanding what it is that you care about, what is bothering you, what is hurting mm-hmm. your day-to-day productivity, mind space, you know, state of being, anything. They are brilliant at that because they ask, yeah. they don't assume, they get you to talk. They usually actually shut up. It's actually one of the reasons that, you know, we have a misnomer that sale, that good salespeople are all extroverts. Actually, some of the best salespeople are introverts because they will get you to talk they to feel. them. Yeah, they're introverts. And, right. And they're, yeah. they're, empathetic and they're working in the background, but they're getting you to talk and that's so valuable. And so for me, helping my, my teams over the years reframe how we think about sales. What is sales? Sales is exclusively the transfer of confidence. That's all it is. And I cannot transfer confidence if I do not have it myself. Wow. Winning. Winning. You just killed this session today. (laughs) I just, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I felt it in my heart. It was like, if I, if I toss this up to Alora, she is going to break it down like an erector set. <laughs> break it on down. Now that was, you just dropped so many bombs and I hope everybody caught it. I hope they're picking it up and <laughs> writing, writing a book. Cause if you don't write a book soon, you, you are literally, leaving gems all over the place that need to be in one consolidated place and so i'm appreciative of what i just listened to i i am i'm delighted that that is true and yes i do need to write a book i just need to figure out what i want to say yeah wow uh so okay so in terms of wrapping up so so you said that you know that you did again kudos to you that you did not let her sort of attack trigger you so, so when you left, like, what, what is it that you left thinking about, you know, in terms of, okay, so yeah. what's, what's, how do we crack the nut of self-awareness? Yeah. So how we crack the nut is, I think in that understanding the DNA of, and how we're affecting and how we're showing up, um, which led me to uh, something I've been running from. So I'll make the announcement on the podcast. Okay. I am searching for PhD programs um, in organizational behavior, in organizational leadership. Very exciting. Yeah, I want to do and get deep. And and I want to Brene Brown it and (laughs) and all those other doctors who, and I want to get messy in in collecting that data of, um, and really around um, not only culture, but how does an associate navigate an organization um, when they do and don't have an actual strategy around talent development and and, um, retention? And it's a huge gap. Organizations focus on recruiting and hiring, but talent management is broken in the recruiting, hiring, retention, and development. The last two drop off a cliff 
And the people responsible for those two things within talent management are when times get hard, they're normally the people that get fired first from HR are the recruiters and not only the recruiters stay on board, but the training and development folks and other non-essential HR folks are let go. So, you know what, it's funny to me about, so this gets to the different, you're in my different lenses. Because yeah. when, when you talk about, you know, the, the drivers for retention and development, yeah. you're looking at it from a, an L&D perspective. I'm looking yeah. at it from, that's your damn manager. That is your exactly. manager's exactly. job. And one of the problems that I get super frustrated with in large scale environments is managers who just try to outsource that to L and D. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you have a job. You don't adopt a puppy and then let the dog walker take care of them. Hmm. Well, here's the right, here's the right hook. And the reason why I'm going to do this dissertation work and I'm going and I'm really taking this journey on is because a huge part of this is going to be about accountability and ownership. (sighs) That's another yeah. topic for another day because there's yep. no way we'll be on here all night if we t- if we get yep. through that one now. So oh, I'm I'm swinging I'm swinging. Oh, but, uh, so but yeah, that's exciting news, Lawrence. Exciting, exciting, exciting. So so yeah, so I think that that, that was me, and I apologize about that. Um, that was a natural uh, wrap up with that exciting news. And if you had one thing that you wanted to leave with the people, what would it be? Um, that that all of what we talked about, right? Self-awareness, situational awareness, executive presence. Those are learned skills. Some some people naturally have some of the the qualities that lend themselves to it a little bit more easily than others. But just because you don't feel like you have it or you have historically not done a, a particularly good job doesn't mean you can't learn it. This is all very learnable stuff. And it's up to you to decide whether or not it's something you want to invest in and whether or not you think it's something that's valuable. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I don't want to even mess that up. So, Laura, thank you again for allowing me to go on this journey with you. I love having you here, and I'm so excited about your news. So, we will talk next week. In the yes, meantime, we will. have an awesome, awesome week, and uh, talk soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Tune in next week where we take on our next topic. Have a great week.